All right, so uh, you almost got a very long sermon about predestination today because I'm writing an essay about predestination. Um, but I decided I'd let that brew a bit and you'll get that really long sermon in a few weeks' time probably. Uh, maybe next week if I get excited. Uh, but I think that's a really fun topic, but I'm told that that's not super fun for some people. Uh, but I would love to talk about that and we will do that at some point. Uh, but today what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at a scripture that we have looked at a couple of times before. I like to occasionally go back to things and say, did we completely miss the point of this last time we looked at it? Or rather, did I miss the point completely last time I looked at it? Uh, so I want to look at the rich young ruler because it's one of my favorite uh, bits of scripture. I think one of the reasons I really like it is because like, there are lots of parables or lots of stories or interactions that Jesus has that are kind of more difficult to understand. Like there are bits about it that are culturally really obscure or things where he uses like farming analogies and I don't get it. Or With this one though, it's a rich young dude with power and Jesus is like telling him what to do. So I can kind of identify with that. I'm reasonably young now still. And, you know, by any global standard, I'm very, very wealthy. Um, and, and by any normal measure of agency, I also have quite a lot of power. Um, so I identify with this. So I think it's a really good one to come back to occasionally to just check in with. Um, so I'm going to read you the scripture in Luke chapter 18. Uh, and it starts from verse 18. We are actually going to jump back a bit earlier in a minute as well. But it starts out saying, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You lack uh, still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So in, in our, uh, this, this uh, scripture story is recorded in, I think, Matthew, Mark and Luke. I think it's all three of those. Uh, and from the book of Matthew, we find out that he's young. Uh, and from this one here, we find out that he's a ruler. Uh, and all three, they characterize him as a, a man who has wealth. Most likely, he was actually a leader in the synagogue. Most likely, he was a, a person of renown within that community and that he was seen as a righteous man by his peer group. So in the Jewish worldview, if you were blessed of God, if you were behaving well, if you're doing the right things, you would be rich because they had a material kingdom. So the blessings of that material kingdom were material things. Uh, whereas in the, the new covenant, we have a, a different type of kingdom. So the blessings from God, just being rich doesn't mean you're blessed. But in the Jewish worldview, that was kind of central. Uh, interestingly, that's why if you go somewhere with the prosperity doctrine, they read a lot from the Old Testament when they talk about money. Material kingdom, material blessing. 
Whereas it wasn't kind of the, the attitude Jesus took. Nonetheless, this guy's probably a leader. One of the reasons we can make that assumption is because if we wind back um, a little bit earlier in this particular chapter to the beginning of this set of interactions, it says here, um, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. That's a pretty, uh, just by itself, it's like a really casually scathing way to describe a group of people. To those who were really confident in their own righteousness and the people who looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Like he's... So we get this parable and it's, a, it's the parable of the Pharisee who goes up and says, oh, you know, I'm so great um, and prays in front of everybody. And then the parable of the tax collector, uh, sorry, the same parable with the tax collector who says, oh, I'm terrible. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus resolved this story by saying the tax collector went home justified before God for he, uh, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now this is a, to that current audience. Remember, I just finished saying that to be rich and to be a leader and to have all these, this prestige, that means that you're the righteous person. He's talking about those Pharisees, those teachers of the law, those rich young rulers feeling like they have done it right, like they know who they are, like they've got all the right answers. And the tax collector is this abominable, terrible, treasonous sinner who everyone knows is the bad guy in the story. But Jesus flips it upside down and says, the repentant bad guy in your story gets justified and the other guy doesn't. So all of a sudden we have this, this kind of confusing situation where it's back to front. This is a message that obviously Jesus is speaking to those people who are confident in their own righteousness. I don't know if you've ever met a Christian who's really confident in their own righteousness. They know they've got the right answers. They just, they want to ask you theological questions because they want to squash your bad theology. They want to tread on you. They want to uh, express how great they are. They're really ready. That's who he's talking to here. So then it gets worse for those people though. Um, because then people start bringing babies to Jesus. Now, in, in the culture of the day, babies were not high on the hierarchy. They were not at the top of the food chain. Babies, they didn't live all that much. Um, you know, like it was a, a rougher time for small children. And often in the Roman culture, especially if you'd had a girl and you didn't really want one of them, you just leave it out somewhere to die from exposure. Um, like babies were not considered high priority in the pecking order. So when people start bringing babies to Jesus, even his disciples are like, oh, get rid of these kids, they're in the way. And Jesus is like, no, let the children come forward to me. And then he says this, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus is setting up this, this story, um, this interaction with this rich young ruler, firstly by saying, uh, yeah, all those rich, righteous Pharisees, they got nothing. The, the tax collector has got more on them. And by the way, the children get into the kingdom of heaven and you won as well. So he's flipped everything up. The social hierarchy has been flipped up. The financial hierarchy, every, all of the different things. Jesus just says, nah, it's backwards to what you're expecting. So upon hearing how the kingdom is backwards, this formerly very confident in his own righteousness, rich young ruler kind of starts thinking, oh crap. Um, if the kids get in and the tax collector gets in, where do I fit into this story? Um, I, I don't feel as self-assured in my righteousness right now. Um, uh, this rabbi, this teacher, and he, any one of the translations 
uh, or one of the, um, uh, in the Gospels, I can't remember which one, he calls him a good teacher. He's like, I'm really nervous. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I thought I was doing it right. I already did all the things that I was meant to do. But you're, you're confusing the issue for me here. Jesus challenges his, his idea that a person can even be good. When he says good teacher, he says, what do you, no man is good. God is good. No man is good. He's like, what do you mean? I feel I'm good. I mean, you, have a, I, like you ask most people on the street, are you a good person? They say, yeah, I'm good. Well, no man is good. He starts to list off the things that he's done that are good to try and justify his righteousness, to justify why he's okay. He knew that he'd been living by the rules. So when Jesus is like, well, um, have you, um, do you know the commandments? Um, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honour your father and mother. And the guy's like, oh, whew, if that's the list, I am, I'm sweet. I, I've done all the right things. And Jesus is like, you still lack one thing. And he's like, uh, I'm not happy about that. The rich young ruler knew that he'd been living by the rules. He was very careful to live by the rules. He had his salvation secured, but all of a sudden he was nervous. You see, the problem is, is that he had a legal view of what salvation is. Where God's a judge and he's the defendant. Uh, and if he's lucky, Jesus is his defense lawyer. That's how we kind of view it in the future. But he didn't have that benefit then because he's still a Jew, right? Jesus is still alive, standing there with him. So God's a judge. He's a defendant. He's listing off all his good behavior and hoping that he gets acquitted on the basis of good behavior. He has a list that he knows. The things you can do to be in and the things that you do to be out. Honor your mother, in. Dishonor your mother, out. Pay your tithe, even on your herb garden, in. Skimp on that, out. He knows the rules. According to the law, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, I have a, a terrible joke that I will now read you for your amusement as a small interlude. Uh, it goes like this. It says, once... Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump and I said, don't do it. And he said, nobody loves me. And I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? And he said, a Christian. I said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? And he says, well, I'm a Protestant. Me too. That's fantastic. Um, what denomination? He says, well, I'm a Baptist. Me too. This is where it gets a bit American here, but. Bear with me. Uh, uh, are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? He says, I'm a Northern Baptist. Me too. Are you a Northern Conservative Baptist or a Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Are you a Northern Conservative Baptist from the Great Lakes region or a Northern Conservative Baptist from the Eastern region? And he says, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist from the Great Lakes region. And I said, me too. Are you a Northern Conservative Baptist from the Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he says, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic! And I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> you see, there are a lot of Christians that are like this today. We have a list of things that make you in and out. 
And it might not just be honour your father and honour your mother or pay your tithe or do this, but I'll tell you what, there are churches if you don't pay your tithe, you are not in. You are on the out. There are places that are like, you're not allowed to even welcome people at the door till we know the rhythms of your giving because it's the in or out issue of their fellowship. There are lots of places where the in or out issue of your fellowship or even in or out of faith is your belief or uh, adherence to Bible is inerrant. Even though that was a term that we kind of invented in the 70s because we wanted to make sure that the liberal people knew they were out and the conservative people were in. Um, so they wrote a statement that said the Bible is inerrant and if you don't agree with that, you know you're out. So it's a pretty new idea in Christendom that that's the defining line for in or out. Uh, and just to be clear, I believe what the Bible says about itself, um, that, it's, that it's God's word, that it's inspired, that it's God breathed. I believe that the Bible is useful for teaching and correction. And I think that the Bible, the only thing it does infallibly is point to Jesus, because that's what it was meant to do. The word became flesh. Jesus is inerrant. But if you have to decide whether or not a document that's been translated a bunch of times by a bunch of different people, like I was reading a verse the other day, and in one translation it says yes, something or other, and in the other one it says no. Like between the King James and the NIV, it literally says the opposite thing based on how they've perceived the context of the situation. Like what's inerrant? Is, is it inerrant? Because when they listened to Jesus speak in Aramaic, they then wrote it down in Greek. And then we had it translated into English. At what point? The only thing that's inerrant is Jesus. He is the word of God. But we decide you're in or you're out on the basis of this arbitrary line in the sand. We think, oh, you're in or you're out unless, you know, uh, you can all be in. Everyone's welcome in, except if you have same-sex attraction, then you're out. Definitely, we can't allow for that. Any kind of, uh, anything other than our normal, acceptable, reasonable, um, you know, I pay my tithe and I do this. uh, But if you fall outside of that, you are out, not in. Uh, and the, the predestination one I talked about earlier. If you're, there are places where the in or out is definitely Calvinist. You are either elect because God determined it. Uh, and if you're one of those dirty, stinking liberal Armenians, then you are out. Um, I'm, I'm neither, by the way. I, uh, I identify with uh, corporate election, which is to say God chose a body and a bride and he's coming back for his church. He's not coming back for some preordained group of people that he individually selected, some for saving and some for burning. Um, Hmm? Spoiler alert, yeah, we'll, but we'll cover that more in detail uh, in a few weeks. Uh, have a creation evolution. Uh, you know, like there are places where the creation evolution debate is the in or out defining issue. You can't really be a member of that intimate community unless you agree to that particular doctrinal statement one way or the other. Uh, complementarianism, anyone? Uh, egalitarianism. There are places where me believing that a woman should be uh, released on the basis of their gifts, not their gender that that would get me out. There are movements where I wouldn't even be allowed to speak or be a pastor in them because I think that women are equal to men in terms of their gift and status in community. But it's an in or out issue for people. Tithing, style of baptism. Uh, I identify as Anabaptists, which is the group of people that got killed by all the other Christians because they wanted to baptise people as adults. Hooray for the church, in or out, how you baptise. Whether or not you prayed the right formulaic sinner's prayer. In or out. Make sure you got that one right. Wouldn't want to stumble on the grammar and accidentally go to hell. Like people are crazy. Like we laugh at that joke about pushing a guy off the bridge because he's part of a different, um, 
you know, like agreement at a synod somewhere, but we do the same thing. There are places where if you don't turn up and have communion every week, you're no longer saved because communion and the Eucharist and doing that, somehow re-crucifying and eating Jesus is how you get saved. And, um, and you know, there are whole denominations built around the idea that you have to continue to take and fellowship in, the, um, in these elements in order to maintain your salvation. And it's insane and it's ridiculous. But that's the system that this rich young ruler was a part of. He was part of a system that said, here are all the right things you must do and then you can be guaranteed that you will be saved. If you do this, if you honor your mother and father, if you don't kill people, if you're not jealous and you tithe, that's, praise, that's, that's it, man. You are in. What are the deal breakers, Jesus? What are the sins or beliefs that I have to have a black and white opinion about? What's the creedal statement that I have to agree with? Uh, and here's the problem. None of those things make you in or out. That's not what Jesus... He says, have you done all these things just because he's giving the guy a chance to gloat? He's giving the guy a chance to dig his grave. He's like, yes, I am very righteous and here is why. And I reckon I'd go as far as saying, had Jesus said to him, have you sold everything and given to the poor? And the guy was like, yes, I've even done that. That Jesus then would have said something like, have you ever lusted after a woman? And if he'd said, I'm a eunuch and I've never thought an impure thought, he would have said, well, have you ever hated your brother? Because eventually, if you go deep enough, you'll find that the inside of this guy, that he falls short as we all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Salvation on the basis of in or out ideas or creedal statements or behaviours will always leave you on the outside of God's grace. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. After telling this guy that he should sell everything. See, this is, we get caught up on the sell everything and we don't hear the rest of this verse. He says, sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me. That's the in or out, following Jesus. He says, all the other things that you did that you thought defined the in or out, don't, they don't get it. But what is it that's in the way of you following me? It says here that Jesus, it says when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him. This, uh, this word looked here, Edo, uh, is, is found 666 times in the New Testament. But 281 times, instead of looked at, it, it, it's translated as to know. So Jesus looked at him. Jesus saw him. Jesus knew him. Jesus understood him. Jesus grieved for him. Jesus could see the challenge that this guy was facing. Jesus is saying to him, compelling him, the in or out issue is whether or not you will give up the identity that you have in your wealth and your power and your prestige and follow me. And Jesus sees him. He understood this ruler. He understood where this guy got his identity and his security and his comfort. So Jesus also says, uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This guy followed the rules, but he wasn't following Jesus. The Jews got very good at following the rules. But then when the word became flesh and walked among them, they couldn't even see him for who he was. You know, there's a, a parable in, in Luke chapter 8 
talking about seed. And one of the seeds that gets thrown down, it says, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. See, for this rich young ruler, his wealth allows him to feel safe and powerful and important. It's the defining characteristic for his entire personality, his identity. We don't know what this guy's name is, but we know he is young, he is rich, he is powerful. That's all we need to know about him. They are the things that define who he is. And uh, like, if I had to think about the way that I would be defined in three words, what are you smiling at? <laughs> Steve's, Steve's thinking of a few unkind words over there. Um, young, rich, attractive, successful, important, charismatic. These are all the words that come to mind. Um, hygienic, uh, tidy, um, educated, kind, generous. How about lazy, frugal, tight, uh, irresponsible, anxious, angry, excited, optimistic, aggressive. What are the, what are the defining characteristics of who you are? Do you, do you wake up in the morning and spend more time defining your hairstyle uh, or you're grooming your beard? Um, or do you, like, what is it that you define yourself by? There are people who are completely, totally defined by their race or their gender uh, or their achievements or their popularity or by their, how they perceive people see them or by their wealth. Or we allow ourselves to be defined by all of these other things. And Jesus is saying, are you prepared to stop being defined by those things And start being defined by following me. That's what it is to inherit eternal life. It's to be defined by Jesus. To be in Christ. To be in his body. His elected, predestined body. Spoiler. This man's identity is not in eternal things. Even though he's saying, how do I get eternal life? What he's really doing with his life is trying to get all of the material things that are not eternal. None of the things that define him are eternal things. They are all worldly things. His identity is in his good behavior, his wealth, his power, his identity. uh, But not just his identity. It's where he gets his comfort, his peace, his certainty, his hope, his joy. They all come from his flesh and none of it comes from following Yahweh. In his case. I don't know, like when you have a bad day and no one put your hand up and incriminate yourself. But when you have a bad day, do you have that moment where you're like, I deserve to buy something for myself now to feel better. Or I deserve to eat this thing that is really bad for me to make myself because I've earned it because I've had to tolerate the, the, the awfulness of my day. I am going to do this. Uh, I'm going to drink this thing or look at this thing or engage in this activity or whatever it is because it gives me comfort. It makes me feel better. We allow those things to define our comfort, our security, our identity instead of something that's eternal and beyond and outside of this broken system that we're a part of. Now, comfort is in materialism and sugar and endorphins. Whatever gives us identity is really hard to give away. The things that make us feel important and safe, are real, they become sacred so quickly. In Luke 17, Jesus says this. He says, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will preserve it. 
Pastor, I remind you, this is not a message about saying, well, what's the rule now that I can get from this? If I sell everything and give it to the poor, that's the rule. Now I'm in. So it's, it's tough. Um, you know, like honoring my father and not murdering people was easier. Um, but okay, I'll sell some stuff and give it to the poor. This is not about defining a new rule. It's about following Jesus. If it was about defining a rule, then Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who gave up half of all he's owned, would only be half saved. Because he only half did what the rich young ruler did. But it's not a rule. It's about saying, what do you need to give up in order to follow Jesus? And for this rich young ruler, his entire personality, his entire identity was defined by his wealth and his prestige. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Thanks, Parker. Now, some people read this and, they, uh, and somewhere in between the 9th and 15th century, some Christian that was probably trying to get indulgences out of people came up with this idea that for the rich, uh, for the camel to get through the eye of the needle, what this really meant is that there was some gate in Jerusalem and it was called the eye of the needle. And the only way a camel could get through there was to take all of its cargo off uh, or for the person riding it to stoop to fit under the gate. So what this is really saying is, so long as you give enough, you can still scoot through that gate. That's what they, that's what they did to justify staying rich but if you were just generous, then that's, that's good enough. Uh, only problem with that is there is no gate like that. And it, it, you know, like it took them like 900 years to come up with this explanation. I'm pretty sure that if that was the truth, it would have been more self-evident. Uh, that and it's also likely that it's just a bad translation of the word not into camel. It's hard to put a knot through a needle. Um, you know, that probably makes more sense as well. The words are very similar. Uh, Here's the thing, though. It completely and totally misses the point because the next verse after, it's hard. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It says, his disciples heard this, although those around who heard this said, who can be saved then? They were all like, well, that's impossible. There's no way. So it's not like, oh, well, if I just stoop, if I just tithe right, if I just... No, you're going back to the system that we're just breaking down. There is still no system here of if you do this or that or have right credible statement or right belief or right thing or give or this or... No, the camel cannot get through the needle. It's impossible. Except with God, is how Jesus explains it. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's not possible for the camel to get through. It doesn't matter how much you stoop. You can put the camel through a blender and it's not getting through the blooming eye of the needle. There, it's not possible. It is only possible with God. It is only possible to meet the standard when you are in Christ. Because it's not about your belief system. It's not about your good theology or good works. It's about whether or not you follow Jesus and are in him. At the same time, when I'm listening to this, if you're trying to come up with a formula in your head because you feel like you are stingy and you feel convicted because you identify as being rich uh, and young and having agency and authority and opportunity, you identify with this rich young ruler and you're like, oh crap, I just don't want to have to give anything. 
Uh, if you're trying to figure out the right amount to give to get rid of your guilt, then he's definitely talking to you. You should sell everything. But maybe you're like Zacchaeus and you just, you've recognized that you, that you are holding on to materialism as that thing that stops you from following Jesus. And you need to give that up. Maybe it's part of your identity and part of your safety network um, or behavior or habit. Or, or uh, maybe there's some belief that you hold on to and you're like, that's the one that gets me saved. Um, whatever it is, give that nonsense up and go after following Jesus. This sermon should make you uncomfortable. This is a message where Jesus says to someone, give up everything that gives you identity and follow me. And I want you to hear this as a message that is saying to you, give up everything that is giving you identity right now and follow Jesus. It's the only way to get the camel through the needle is to give up the things that make you hold on to this world. What is it that you need to be saying yes to? And what is it that you need to be saying no to? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you have blessed us, that we are rich and pretty young and that we have so much opportunity in our, uh, in our culture and in our um, lives to exercise leadership and authority. We are not constrained in this country at all. So God, I thank you that we are rich and we are young and we are rulers and we are... But God, I pray that you would make us generous and that you would make us find our identity not in worldly things. That we wouldn't define our Christian identity around a set of uh, belief systems that make us more righteous than someone else. That we wouldn't allow our identity to be defined around our wealth or uh, our materialism or our, uh, our weight or our appearance or our job or education or our uh, set of relationships that we would be defined by following you. That anyone who gives up... Um, you know, mother or father or brother or sister, that, that you would give us all together more in this life and the next. God, I pray that you would give us faith, not in our own good behaviour, but faith that you will meet our needs and faith that you will um, lead us as we follow. So God, help us to uncover where our identity is, where our treasure is that we may lay that aside in whatever proportion is required in order to follow you. And that we would feel the blessing that comes from your yoke that is light. That we wouldn't carry the expectation of all of the things, the list of things that we have to believe right and the list of things that we have to do right and the expectation and the guilt and the shame that comes when we, when we fall short, that all of that would go as we give up that part of our identity and adopt following you that we would feel your grace and your mercy and your compassion, that we would know your empowering through the Holy Spirit to choose uh, what is right instead of to be condemned by the things that we, that we don't meet up to. God, may we go away and not be sad like this rich young ruler, but may we go away like Zacchaeus and celebrate that we can lay down the things that get in the way of us following you. Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to keep a space uh, here. Um, just a, a 
kind of a, a more reflective, contemplative space because I want people to have an opportunity to think about this, um, um, to be able to hear the, the answer when, when Jesus, you know, when you ask him, what do I need to do, Lord? Hear what it is that he's saying to you that you need to do. What is it that you need to put aside in order to follow him? Um, so we're just going to keep a, a quiet space here for people to do that. Uh, also understand if you need to leave, then that's, that's um, perfectly fine as well. But if we can just hold the space here now for people, that'd be great.